Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Greg Puglich, President and CFO of 12 Oaks Senior Living. The Dallas-based company has 12 communities with more growth planned this year. 12 Oaks has built a reputation as a company that specializes in community turnarounds. And Kuklich says those skills have been pretty valuable over the last two years. And he expects they will continue to be valuable in 2022 as the company takes on new communities. I think as we come out of COVID, we need to execute those turnaround skills to rebuild financial performance. There are a lot of challenges on financial performance right now on the properties, and that's something we are definitely focused on. But before we get to that interview, I would like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Visit SeniorHousingNews.com to view this year's winners. And now, here's my interview with Greg Puklich, President and CFO of 12 Oaks Senior Living. Greg Puklich, thank you so much for coming on Transform today. So this is this is a timely interview. You recently ascended to the role of President at 12 Oaks. And I, I think you're also keeping your CFO title, which is, you know, I think what we knew you as before. So what, what made now the right time to make that move? And... What does this newly kind of expanded role mean for you personally? So I think maybe addressing the personal question first, uh, I'm really excited about the opportunity. I've been in merchant development, uh, the real estate industry all my career, and having the opportunity to move into the president role is a real kind of... um, achievement for me personally, and I'm excited about that, mainly because it encompasses all aspects of the operations. So previously as a CFO, my focus was obviously on financial performance, underwriting, analysis, uh, those types of things. But as, as president, there's a lot more to think about. And, you know, dealing with uh, the strategic plan, our vision, and how you know we are going to structure our company and you know deal with things moving forward. The senior industry uh, is a very complicated industry compared to other asset classes. So it is a real estate asset class with uh, overlaid with the complication of one of the more challenging operating uh, structures and financial influences that that can possibly be thrown at you. So uh, it's exciting to be in senior housing uh, and I've really enjoyed that time. And as I, as I grow, continue to grow in the industry and my knowledge of the industry and, and be able to contribute to our company and the industry, I'm really excited about that opportunity. For, for 12 Oaks and as to why is this the right time, uh, I really applaud Dick Blaylock and our CEO and owner and, and his vision here. A lot of uh, smaller family-owned businesses lack succession plans. And Dick, you know, and, and most people know 12 Oaks Senior Living as Dick Blaylock and Keith Ashburn, who was his COO for 30 years. Well, over the course of the last year, and Dick's been planning this for some time, is a transition in management. So first and foremost, Dick and Keith are still here, still around, and still very active. But we brought in Lori Jones, uh, our 
you COO last year, and Keith has moved from the COO seat to senior vice president of our solutions consulting group. And that group has been very important to us in terms of dealing with, you know, the impact of COVID, the pandemic, and all the challenges it's brought. So it's it's another significant tool in our toolbox to be able to manage and operate our communities effectively. And Keith is heading that up and he's bringing all those years of experience to that team of solutions consultants. Dick is our CEO continues to you know be the visionary and set the direction and tone for the company but day-to-day administration um, has been uh, handed to me and so you know in terms of transition and succession planning you know we are slowly you know working through that process so that we can have an effective and seamless uh, transfer of power uh, over a course of a few years so that we can continue to provide, you know, quality services while maintaining the culture at Twelve Oaks. So it's been a plan, many years in the making, being slowly implemented, so it's not disruptive, and we can continue to provide quality service to our our investor owners. Yeah, this seems to be the time for leadership transitions in in the in the senior living industry, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the impact of COVID. I think that's a good segue into my next question. So I think the last time that we checked in with you, it was 2019. We didn't have this pandemic to worry about. So obviously, you know, we don't need you to, to narrate, you know, all of what happened over the past two years. But just generally, how has COVID gone for 12 Oaks? And fast forward to now, where are you in terms of your recovery, leads, move-ins, occupancy, all that? COVID has had a huge impact. In the early days, I I feel we met the challenge exceptionally well. We formed a pandemic uh, committee and we met very regularly on, you know, the the evolution of COVID over the course of the past few years. And for a long time, we were able to kind of be untouched by COVID in terms of infection at the communities. But, you know, that that, that becomes a numbers game at some point in time. And, you know, we did have uh, a few communities, you know, where there were outbreaks, but we were able to isolate those, contain them. And I think the response plans we put in place as a management company really helped minimize the impact of COVID from an infection control point of view. So the impact, though, financially, putting my CFO hat back on for a second, is is huge. It's it's been game changing, and it segues into a lot of uh, the shift and the pivot we've made in kind of our approach uh, as a management company to the market, particularly in 2022, with the challenges of COVID, reduced occupancy, lower census, um, increased wage rates. Now, all those challenges uh, are you know kind of the hangover effects of COVID. In terms of what we've done to address our occupancy specifically, you know, what we did in uh, late summer, fall, is execute what we called a marketing sprint at all our communities. So we had a lot of, lot of unused marketing budget from the earlier part of the year. And we were looking at our performance. We had favorable variances in our marketing expenses and we had unfavorable variances in our occupancy due to COVID. So we said, look, let's execute a marketing sprint. And we got with our owners and we said, let's take a 90-day period and let's, let's see if we can move the needle. 
And what that meant was keeping our, our marketing directors in the selling zone, making sure they, were, sure they were properly staffed, not distracted, and were provided with the lead bank and tools they needed to sell, right, to reach out. And it, it was really interesting because over the course of uh, 90 to 120 days, we were able to move our overall portfolio occupancy up 5%. So, you know, we, we gained, uh, you know, total of 5% occupancy uh, on a portfolio-wide basis. So that concerted effort, and, you know, we always, we believe in prospect-centered selling, having our sales directors, you know, stay in the selling zone, not be distracted by COVID, by staff shortages, getting pulled into all the other stuff, right? When they were able to focus, and also, we also spent more money on some of our digital and traditional marketing sources to to increase the lead bank. But a lot of it was going back to the old leads, you know, ferreting out, you know, the uh, inquiries from 90, 120 days ago, right? Reaching back out, doing more outreach. All those things uh, had a very positive effect. So for us, the, the marketing sprint was a big success story. We're in the middle of our sales summit here at Senior Housing News. Yesterday, I hosted a panel about sales cycles. So a lot of what you were just talking about, you know, follow up and being creative to follow up with leads, you know, on long term, all very fresh, uh, fresh of mind for me and probably everyone else in the industry right now. I, I know that 12 Oaks in the past has hung its hat on being kind of turnaround experts. I could see a world where there's probably a lot more turnarounds now than there were in, in 2019. So I'm assuming those skills have probably come into handy during the pandemic as owners are looking for regional operators to take on you know, struggling properties. I guess, how has the turnaround changed in the age of COVID? Is it harder? And, and I guess just, yeah, tell me if those skills have, have come in handy indeed. Absolutely. Indeed, yes, those skills have come in handy. And every you know, new opportunity is a challenge. Being turnaround specialists, being able to come into a community and, you know, work the occupancy, control operating expenses, you know, are things we're good at. And that has definitely come in handy here. I think as we come out of COVID, you know, hopefully we are going to move from pandemic to endemic stage here in, in you know, the coming months i don't know how you know when that happens exactly but as that happens you know we need to execute those turnaround skills right to rebuild uh financial performance there are a lot of challenges on financial performance right now on the properties and you know that's something we are definitely focused on uh right now with our portfolio and our and uh the properties we want to add to our portfolio I've talked with some operators who say, you know, since the start of the pandemic, especially the I think the stronger regional operators, they will tell me, my phone rings off the hook every day. We get owners and REITs calling us up and saying, you know, hey, can you take this property? Can you take this property? I'm curious, are you seeing that right now? And and you know, I've heard other operators say, we're having to say no to most of the opportunities that are presented to us. Are you in are you in a similar boat? So yes, inquiries are definitely up and the conversations are definitely happening more often now. You know, a year ago, there was a desire for certain transitions, which got put on hold because it was the owner's view that, well, there's COVID. We can't do a transition during COVID. And I don't know that I necessarily agreed with that. But yes, now I think is an ideal uh, time for transition. And to put it in context, a lot of the distressed properties have come 
more distressed and marginal properties have moved into distress categories and you know properties that are performing well are challenged as well right so everybody's kind of moved down you know the scale a little bit so for us what we want to be able to do is take some of these challenge properties you know apply our turnaround skills and you know help build them up anybody who's has a property that they hoped to monetize through a recap or a sale i would submit now is the time to make a transition okay occupancy is down right uh probably from your pre-covid levels operating expenses are most certainly higher so for owners and investors to realize the exit pricing they're hoping for they've got to get their noi under control they have to maximize noi we're in a period of time right now where there's a real opportunity to do something about it right transactions that are happening in the market are mostly distressed transactions right so anybody who's got quality properties uh you know newer vintage underperforming under pressure in terms of census or operating expenses i would submit now is the time to make a transition you know ask yourself is your operator doing everything they can are they growing census at an acceptable level are, are operating expenses under control do they have a plan to grow census do they have a plan to address your staffing issues 12 oak senior living has a plan take this time take 2022 to be your time of growth to be your time of stabilization then growth to move into a you know exit in 23 so that's that's what we're advocating and we've kind of and that's where we pivoted our our um, our business development efforts away more from the transactional opportunities because the transactional opportunities, and we looked at a lot of them in 2020 and 2021, and I will tell you, most of them fell apart due to the owner or the investor's concern over the ability to achieve NOI targets. There was just too much nervousness out there. You know, can I achieve this lease up? These operating expenses, you know, I'm hearing they're out of control. Wages are going up. Every time we update our pro forma, I have to add expense here. People who were wanting to pull the trigger on certain transactions basically decided to pull back. And that buy-sell gap is still huge between buyer and seller. These sellers expectations versus what the buyer thinks they should pay with the covid discount in quotes isn't met yet so what's the answer well get your no get your house in order right build your census get your operating expenses under control through efficient operations and management and that's that's what 12 oaks can offer so obviously staffing huge challenge right now probably the biggest challenge other than just growing your occupancy so I'm curious, what pressures are you seeing in your workforce? On the extreme side, I've I've talked with operators who have said, you know, hey, we maybe maybe we weren't able to fill as many beds as we had hoped because we didn't have the people, we didn't have the caregivers uh, to, to to care for these people. And obviously, I think that's on the extreme side. But I am curious, to what extent are you seeing pressures in your workforce right now? So yes, we are seeing pressures, uh, most certainly. So. You know, the the quickest and easiest fix is wage adjustment. But 
frankly, that's not enough, right? It's not something that you can afford or should do as your sole easy choice. And, you know, I would suggest less creative operators will just say, well, increase wages $3, $4 an hour, right? That's, that they're looking for the easy fix that isn't in the operator's best interest. What we're doing at 12 Oak Senior Living is in our HR department, for example, we have dedicated recruiters that work with our community. So we have PEO for all, all the employees across our portfolio. So the EDs and the marketing directors and the uh, care directors aren't spending time trying to recruit employees. We have corporate recruiters who work with the EDs to tell us what the open positions are. And then we will go out and find the candidates for them from corporate. And we will present to the ED or RCD, hey, here's two or three candidates for each of your open positions, right? We do all the legwork too, so they can focus on their community. Additionally, we're expanding uh, our toolbox in uh, recruiting. We're holding job fairs. Uh, we're doing outreach. We're, we're going to candidates directly. We're actually recruiting candidates uh, directly instead of just, you know, popping an ad on Indeed and hoping for the best. So we are making an active effort to, you know, fill the open positions that we do have. And, you know, we've made monetary adjustments as well, but reasonable monetary adjustments. We're not just trying to money whip the situation right? We're trying to get in quality people. Is the reason that you you don't think raising wages, I mean, obviously I've, I've, there's a range of opinions on this. Is the reason because there are other industries out there that are able to offer even more than senior living can just given all the constraints? I mean, I hear from operators, you know, about McDonald's or, or other similar kinds of places, retail, you know, Amazon starting at like at least $18, which seems mm-hmm. like a that's a high price to pay for for a senior living caregiver, at least relative to what the industry has been paying before. So is that the reason why you think that wages aren't the, the answer here? Uh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, not everybody wants to work at McDonald's or Amazon. I mean, think of the caregiver position and the personal connections, the personal touch, you know, an individual in the caregiving, you know, uh, industry has. Right. That is, uh, you know, people who work in caregiving are very, very special people. Right. And the work they do is very emotionally taxing. Right. And it's hard work, but it is so rewarding. Right. And, you know, we find with the caregiver staff, it's, it's, you know, yes, money is important. Uh, I don't want to diminish that at all. The wage has to be competitive. But with them, it's not always just about the dollar there's a passion in these people for these positions, right? Nothing against Amazon, but, you know, do they want to work on a line in Amazon filling boxes, you know, at 18 bucks an hour for, you know, eight hours a day? That is very different work than what a caregiver does, right? And what anybody in the senior community home is from the, you know, the cooks, the servers, you're dealing with people, the interaction with residents who need you, you know, want to embrace you and want to have you serve them, right? That's very rewarding work. And it's emotionally challenging work. That's that's a special kind of person. So that's our focus. And that's why our focus is is on the recruiting effort, right? Getting the right people in and appealing to the people about 
you know, being passionate about the industry. And, you know, if we can, if we can maintain that culture in our communities, encourage that passion, the community is successful, right? The culture in the community is, is a culture of success and it can be one of financial reward too by paying uh, position specific and appropriate wage levels that don't overly tax or burden the owner by eroding their NOI. And because their current operator isn't being creative, they're just trying to throw money at it. And those kind of people you hire for the extra dollar an hour are the people that when McDonald's raises their rate a dollar, they're going to go there because they're chasing the money. They're not working and, and fulfilling their passion. A word that I've heard thrown around a lot lately when it comes to wages is correction. This idea that you know wages sort of are are, are at the level that that maybe they they were always going to be anyway. You know when when we got to a point at which it was more of an employees or or a a candidates market or an applicants market, I guess you'd want to say. So all this is to ask: uh, Do you feel like wages have kind of reached a new floor? Do you think that it, it really only goes up from here? I have heard some CEOs in this industry say that they think that this elevated period of labor expenses is transitory. I'm not sure of that. I, I, I don't know which way to think, so I want to hear your thoughts on it. I do not believe this is transitory. I think this is the new reality. And frankly, I'm not so sure if, there's, if it's not going to continue to rise to some degree. The reality of the macroeconomic situation is everything's going up. You're, you know, everybody who has to drive to work and buy food for their family and pay rent or their mortgage or, you know, whatever, go on a vacation or, you know, buy Christmas presents for their kids. All those things cost more money now. So unless, you know, the total economy uh, in GDP shrinks, which is not likely to happen in the near term, uh, this is, in my, in my opinion, no, this is not transitory. This is, this is the new cost of our current standard of living. So uh, this year, a lot of operators coped with that higher cost of business by raising their rates. I think 2022 was a, a, across the board a pretty big year for, for rate growth. I already am hearing a couple operators saying that they think next year is going to be another year of rate growth. Do you agree that that is kind of the way to, to, meet this, to, me, or to meet this pressure right now? I mean, you know, I've talked with operators who basically say, hey, look, you know, the cost of business is more. We need to raise the cost. We need to raise the price of our services. I mean, how do you think about rate growth right now? So rate growth is real and it's happening and it's coming. However, in our industry, it's going to happen slower than it is in other industries. We have an occupancy issue, right? We aren't at you know full occupancy as an industry. If industry-wide, right, it's supply and demand. If industry-wide, we are at 94% effective occupancy, then prices could go up. There's still competition. And there still is, in uh, to a certain degree, in certain markets, an oversupply of units. That being the case, rates can't go up. Now, rates for existing residents uh, may be able to go up a bit more because those residents tend to be a, you know stickier, right? But when you're competing for a move-in, you've got to be market competitive. Uh, so rates will go up. They have to go up because operating margins are going down, right? So rates have to go up. They will. Uh, but I think 23 is a bigger year for rate increases. 
Uh, I think we need to achieve some stability in 22, but in 23 and 24, and, you know, with the silver tsunami a few years out still, uh, or, you know, at least the leading edge of it coming in now, I think 23, 24, as we look at, you know, longer term forecasts, that's when I see the heftier rate increases coming. All back to the point of how do you want to, as an investor owner, how do you want to position your property today? Right? Is your operator doing everything they can today to position your property for a recap or exit that monetization event Right, to execute your exit strategy in 23 and 24? You should be talking about that right now because now's the time to fix it. Because if you don't fix it today, you're going to be behind the curve uh, a year from now. Along that line of thinking, you know, you mentioned margins. I think it's no secret if you're listening to this podcast, margins are compressed across the industry, mm-hmm. operating margins. Do you think this is a good time to, to reevaluate what sort of normal operating margins should be in senior living? I guess that would be a discussion to have with owners and investors. But, you know, you make a good point that with so much in flux right now, now's a good time to rethink some of this stuff. So is margins on that list too, you think? Margins are on that list. So margins are under pressure. I don't think margins need to be rethought or recalibrated margins are impacted or or the the impact of margins uh, also has to do with cap rates and interest rates so what's the cost of capital and what are exit cap rates and those things right now are compressed so interest rates are remain at historical lows I know a lot of people are worried about interest rates in 23 and 24, given the inflationary pressures. You know, do we get back to the days of monetary policy influences where, you know, the Fed starts increasing interest rates to try to tap down inflation? If that's the case, now the operating margin discussion becomes a little more relevant. And if cap rates go up, then that becomes an issue as well. So I I think you got to look at all three of those things together, right? And as an operator, we've also developed and invested in uh, communities, though we are predominantly a third-party developer. And I have a background in merchant building and and development. So yeah, when we have the operating margin discussion, it's also about what is the business plan for the community. So we have to understand, you know, with the ownership group, what their plan is, and we have to be aligned with kind of what their exit strategy is. Is this a, is this a turnaround in sale? Is this a turnaround in recap? Is this a long-term hold for cash flow? Right. So it's all about the operating margin, perhaps. So, you know, there's there's different considerations in that you know but as operator our primary function is to drive margin at the end of the day so uh, we do understand that but we also want to have the conversation to understand the timetable and you know what the owner's ultimate plan is for the community i know that you've talked with us in the past about the need to collect data to inform your operations i think data business intelligence this stuff is very relevant right now especially during this pandemic when when I think this is this is more valuable than maybe ever before. So I guess, you know, fast forward to 2022, I think again the, the last time I think we talked about this was in 2019. So what are you doing now to collect data in your operations? Has that become harder or more complex, you know, in in this age of of pandemic? No, it it hasn't become harder, but we're doing 
collection of data in different data points. So, for example, on wages, uh, one thing when we were doing our 22 budgets was we had our HR department run. Uh, so our, we have a PEO uh, and we were, had access to paychecks uh, system of wage data by job classification. And we were able to sort that by zip code. So when we did our budgets for 22, we would present to our owners our proposed wage rates for various positions. But we would also have then the market data to say, okay, equivalent positions in this zip code are paying the minimum, the maximum, the mean average, right? So we could have data points as to what the market was paying. We weren't relying on hearsay of the RCD saying, oh, everybody's making $16 an hour. You got to raise rates to $3. Well, not that we don't want their input, but we also want some hard data points, right? And for all positions. So as part of our budgeting process, we, we made the extra effort to collect that data, present it to the owners with our wage rate recommendations. So, you know, the data's out there. You got to be creative and think about what do I need to know to make a decision as to these finer data points within a budget or pro forma. You know, what, what you're talking about are, are kind of fixed points in time. I've talked with other operators who have these kind of amazing dashboards where they're tracking all this real-time information. Are you doing anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we've developed our own uh, dashboard report. So first off, we use Yardi. We use Yardi Senior IQ, uh, which is new, and it has a, a really good dashboard capability. And, and we're, we are deep into uh, looking at how we're going to deploy that uh, tool designing custom dashboards at the ED level, the RVP level, the COO level, and then for our uh, owner groups, right? They all, they all need different things on a dashboard. So we're actually in the process of, of working on that right now. As CFO, I developed a, a custom dashboard, which is just a one-page sheet, and it has all your key metrics. It has your occupancy, actuals versus budgets. It has our trends, T3s, T12s, so we can see comparatively where we're doing. It has the same for labor data, for actual financial performance, current month to budget, T3s, T12s, and then uh, KPIs for uh, rental rates, net effective rental rates, uh, FTEs, FTEs per occupied unit, food costs, marketing costs per lead, marketing costs per move-in, uh, you know, for those same uh, time periods. And it's, it's a handy-dandy one-page sheet where, you know, when we review uh, property performance with our owners, that's what they use. And, and I think they really like it. It's, it's basically everything you need to know on, on one page. We're coming up kind of towards the end of our time here, but I want to take a little bit of, of our time to talk about the future before we go. Um, so I remember before the pandemic, and obviously this has the caveat of, of everyone's plans before the pandemic were, were tossed into disarray in 2020. So, uh, so knowing that, we had a discussion uh, a while ago in 2019 about how you had planned to grow you know, quite a bit. I think I remember you had said, you know, you saw the target of like 25 communities or something like that. Again, with the caveat that COVID happened right after that. But I wanted to check in with you now about growth. You know, you talked a little bit about that earlier, I think. 
So what, what are the growth plans looking like for 12 Oaks? And you know, in, in what ways do you, do you plan to grow in the future? Our plan still is to kind of hit that sweet spot of 25, probably peaking out at 30 properties. That's where we see ourselves. We right now, and even through the pandemic, have that kind of infrastructure in place at our corporate office in terms of our leadership and in key positions. And then, you know, as we grow, we can fill those positions. So we're onboarding four properties uh, beginning of April. That'll put us at 16 properties uh, under management. And, you know, yeah, through 21 or 22, 23, I'd definitely like to get us to that 25 uh, community mark. We see that as the sweet spot in terms of still being able to maintain our culture, still being able to maintain that personal knowledge of community issues and activities, and uh, to really be able to, you know, serve our clients and investors uh, appropriately. You know, uh, we won't need to add that middle layer of management at that. And that's where sometimes as companies grow beyond that level, I think when you add that middle layer of management or you start to silo responsibilities, that's where the disconnects occur. So for us, you know, we're not looking to take over the world. We want to maintain a regionally focused uh, operator of, you know, about 25 properties. And that's, that's still our plan. And that's where, that's where we're headed. Last, last kind of big question for you, Greg, new year, 2022. I've heard a lot of hope that, you know, Sort of like how at the beginning of last year, a lot of folks hope that 2022 is is the year that things start to turn around. So I, I just want to get your outlook. What do you think is ahead in 2022 and what goals or initiatives uh, are you going to be focused on this year? So for us, it's going to be performance improvement. So we see 22 as a year of return to stabilization and focus on performance improvement. And I think in many ways, it's setting the table then for 23 and 24. And that's what I would say to all the investors and owners that uh, listen to you in this podcast, right? Is your operator doing everything they can to put you in a position to successfully exit your, to successfully execute your exit strategy? Now's the time, right? In fact, I'd even say maybe, you know, Three to six months ago was more the time, but it's not too late. Uh, if there's a uh, someone we can help get there, we're we're happy to do that. So I, I think that's the focus, right? We want to grow a bit in in uh, 22, and you know get to that target of 25 properties. But the priority is you know uh, stabilization and efficiencies within our communities. Well. Greg Puklich, thank you so much for coming on Transform. I, we covered a lot of ground today, so thanks for being so so thorough and sharing so much with me. You bet. My pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. Visit SeniorHousingNews.com to view this year's winners. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.